you got to be a part of the team in order to play on the team. That's just how it works. You can't just be this like standalone thing that doesn't have any support behind you. If you don't, if you don't go into a space and make yourself like open enough for other people to be open with you, then you're never going to have that feeling of support when you need it. Welcome to the Artist Becoming Podcast. Hey, Jess. Hey, Shelby, a five, six, seven, eight. Join us in weekly conversations with performing artists across stages, studios, rinks, fields, and screens. Every conversation, a chance to dive deep into the story of their becoming. All right, Shelby, let's get on into it. This episode's conversation features our guest, Joseph Walsh, a principal dancer with the San Francisco Ballet and a true artist becoming. Here we go. For our audience, you might know Joe as a principal dancer with the San Francisco Ballet, but um, we both know Joe from different moments in our paths as artists. Shelby, do you want to introduce when you first met Joe? Well, it was a little bit of time ago, and I believe, <laughs> I think we were like 14, 15 or something like that in uh, Martha's Vineyard for Ethan Stiefel's um, summer intensive program. Yeah. Wow. And then I recently, recently met Joe because I wrote a short film, and Joe was like the leading man, which was so much fun, oh. and I'm really excited for the day when we actually share that with the world, but it was... Um, just amazing to work with you and I loved the way that you showed up on that set and it was really exciting and I'm really grateful to have had that experience and our I think how we wanted to kind of kick this conversation off with you Joe what was that first like heart ping for you that or maybe it wasn't even heart-centered like what landed you on this trajectory of your artistic path and where did that first seed come from for you well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm like super excited to hear about what you guys have been kind of scheming and planning and putting together. And it sounds like something that I needed when I was growing up. Um, but uh, yeah, also like the acting thing was like a full realization of something that I didn't know that I was capable of. And like, that's a really cool thing that I've like experienced with you very recently. And then like, Shelby, it was like right before my professional career like started really, like right after that summer in Martha's Vineyard, I was uh, straight into Houston Ballet 2 and then later that year into the company. So it was really like, you're both in my transitional moments, which I like. Love that. But yeah, I'd say, you know, like looking at uh, heart ping, that's a really good like cue because it is kind of like when it when it really like struck um but I think there was a lot of times you know just growing up watching my sister dance she danced until she was about 19 but I really like started by you know going to the studios being backstage during Nutcracker watching watching my parents like you know pull the scrims up put, close the curtains uh, sweep like sweeping up snow like all the fun um, kind of like tactile, like things that kind of lead you into like wanting more. Mm-hmm. And so like, I had a lot of that and it was kind of led me into like living room dancing, which now we've all experienced on a whole new level. Yeah. But you know, like that, like making up like Titanic, the ballet, that was like a huge thing that I did. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was an epic, per- epic performance for my parents. Um, and any like aunt and uncle that wanted to come by uh but and like Greece the ballet the musical oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> meta, really interesting shit but oh sorry I didn't mean to sorry yeah, it's real <laughs> um so yeah but beyond that it's kind of just when when the challenge of technique became fascinating and like enough like at first it was like kind of taxing and frustrating and like scary when you're like really first starting 
Um, and like the doubt of not knowing if your body's going to look right or if you're, um, if I'm going to be able to lift a person, if I'm, you know, like all of these different doubts that kind of come into your mind as the technique and as everything starts to solidify in your own body, then the external forces start to put more pressure. Um, but it's not really like to the level of, you know, as a, as a guy in ballet, it's not nearly at the level of like what both of you experienced, I'm sure. And what others have experienced, but you know, there's still doubts. There's still the bullying and everything that kind of came along with being a boy in ballet. Um, Zoom, zoom. Yeah, we want more more on that. How old were you when you started? Um, So I was three when I like was on stage first, like in Nutcracker. So I, yeah, I wanted to ask, like, cause as you were speaking, what's so unique from Shelby in my experience, and we touched on it with Garen, um, because Garen was our first male guest and he was in the May workshop and you're our second male guest. And something that he mentioned that's I think really unique, really unique to your path is like, what was that like? It's not as usual. It's very normal for a girl to kind of be like, I want to dance and for everyone to just kind of put all their enthusiasm into it and be like, that makes sense. That's right. You know, it sounds like your family, there was already this artistic, cool energy happening there. But as you kind of progressed, you know, were there challenges for you being a guy and choosing to go that way? And were there certain pressures you felt associated with being a man inside of the career, like from the career itself or from the training itself? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the idea of having to be open and honest about it first yeah. was the most challenging, you know, like how do I, something that was so accepted in my household as, you know, oh yeah, just, go do whatever you want. Like I was the third child, um, youngest, and really like connected with wanting to go and take ballet classes. And my parents were just like, kind of like, sure. And then it was on the same page as like T-ball and soccer and whatever else kind of like fell into those zones of extracurriculars. And so I don't, I think that like the benefit of what my parents um, gave me in terms of their parenting was just like, it's all an equal playing field. We're not judging you and we'll give you like whatever power you need beneath your wings to fly. Right. And they've always done that. And I can't thank them enough for that. And I wish that more parents would be that way, especially with male dancers growing up. Um, that that's probably like the biggest challenge that I've heard outside of bullying but the bullying was especially in middle school and it was just that moment of like okay am I going to tell people or not it's like being like a closeted dancer into and that also plays into like are you gay are you straight are you you know like whatever and all of these kinds of questions that I'm not asking myself in order to dance but they're asking me in order to see if dancing is okay or not yeah Um, so I think that there's a bunch that kind of played into that and like within that decision moment, it was like seventh grade, I think. And it was like when I went from, uh, being in public school in, you know, like rural, not rural mass, but like suburban mass, like Massachusetts, and just being like in that zone of like North Face and like front swoops and like- The hair dryer, yeah. Yeah, like hard LA looks gel, like, which I was totally on board with. (laughs) You know, there was was that uh, where I felt like, oh my God, I have to fit in you know, and so I was doing what everyone else was in that way, but then also secretly being like, I have this extracurricular that I spend six hours a day after school going to do, which I love more than anything. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Walnut Hill, where I went to school, asked 
uh, they were, I was in the academy program from like 11 on um, through all the way through the high school, all four years of high school. But they asked me to come in um, right after my seventh grade year to, to skip eighth and just like get an extra year ahead so that by my senior year, I could decide college or um, professional life and then still be like, have a year of whatever if I need to. Um, so that was like huge for them to kind of offer um, and really enlighten me that like, if you get a head start now, you'll be able to have that time to figure out where you're going. Um, and so like, I don't think I thought much of it besides like, oh my God, what am I gonna, do I have to read better? <laughs> you know, like how am I actually gonna skip a full grade? Which, you know, who knows what that did to me. I'm with you. Yeah, same. I did as well. I think yeah. it's more normal for us than not, you know, but yeah. yeah it's bizarre. And yeah. so then uh, leaving that kind of toxic environment of like, I would tell a few people, but even my close friends ended up bullying me by the end of being there because I was leaving school early to go and do, you know, ballet workshops or whatever it was. And then it just felt like eventually like, all right, cool. I really need to get out of here and go full time to be surrounded by artists because that's just what's going to be beneficial, what's going to be healthy and what's going to make me happy. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a long form answer of, I don't know what the question was. <laughs> How did we get here? <laughs> wow. That's so, that's unique in so many ways. I mean, to have the kind of the root system that your family provided as a, as a male dancer is so unique in and of itself, but it doesn't mean that you weren't pursuing the track, which is largely non-traditional without challenges. And some, and at the time between the ages where you were dancing, that's like, your family doesn't even really matter that much at that point. It's mostly the validation you're getting from your friends, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that as we age, <laughs> as we season, um, it's so easy to look back on those experiences and see them so clearly for what they are, you know, just a bunch of like insecure prepubescent teenagers um, intimidated by the fact that you found something you were passionate about. And like, they probably didn't even know where to begin with that question. It's very clear, you know, but at the time you're, you're having to reconcile your identity with what you do well, with what you think you should be doing, with what your friends think is cool. And it's, it's such a different question for boys and men. And it's just something that, you know, I appreciate conversations like this, the sensitivity that it draws um, because it's also very different in America than it is in Europe for, for men from what I've experienced and not personally, but, you know, through, through friends and former colleagues. And so it's just, that's insane. Where did you go from there? You know, when you were like, I need, I need to follow my people and my passion. Um, well, so I would say just quickly that, you know, like that cultural, like affinity for dance is totally what we're missing on the early, yeah. in the early side of things in America. And what I hope becomes more prevalent as we, you know, grow as a nation or whatever, as, in terms of like, artists and everything it's just like I hope that there's more of a sense of like soccer and ballet you can do either or what you know like dance whatever it is it's like it should be on that same list of like things that boys could possibly do I want to add to this before you move on in your journey because I think this is interesting and we haven't quite had this conversation yet which is like even when you, when you mentioned that, Joe, like soccer and ballet and, and Shelby, you mentioned in Europe, I think that part of the problem in America or what part of the problem that I feel really aware of or curious or intrigued by is the masculine feminine roles that we're all dancing around right now. And I love how you said coming out as a dancer and, and like having to grapple with like, I don't know. I never questioned if I was gay and people are asking that of you because of some artistic choice that you're making. And Garen spoke to like feeling this incredible masculine pressure within a ballet of all the worlds to feel like I had to be a macho man. I felt it in ballet because it's like, this is the role you're playing and like they want to hire the like dude or, or whatever. 
So I think there's a bigger conversation here about all of this fluidity mm -hmm. of the masculine and feminine energies and how creativity in my mind, and I'm curious what you guys think, is really genderless. Like creative, creative source is fluid. Like it should have freedom to move between all of it, you know? There's absolutely no, no gender within like a thought process behind, yeah. you know, move, like doing a turn or something. Movement, yeah, movement. It's yeah. not like, defined that way. The only thing that defines us is like what role we're given within that world. And that, that role for, you know, for Garen and for me is like this thing of like, Hey, you better, you better like support the woman that you're holding, but also like do it with like the machoist kind of thing that you can, you know? And like, I don't know how to like really define what that feeling is of that pressure, but I do remember like, I, it was like a trigger that you kind of like brought back of a memory of being like 12 or 13, like my first, it was my, my um, freshman year and being in like, you know, in between classes and we were getting ready for men's class. And there was uh, a few girls at the front of the room and I was like fetal at this point, you know, like I looked like three feet tall and like really tiny, couldn't, couldn't do anything. And they, one of the girls was like, oh my God, don't ever turn gay because you're like, you're gonna get away with so much as like a guy in this world. And it was such a effed up thing to say to somebody. Yeah. And really fucked with my head. Yeah. Where I was like, what do you mean? I was not even thinking about things sexually. Like I didn't know I didn't know that yet about myself. Right. And to have that kind of there in the background from the start, it's like it reminds me of this one when I got to Houston and I did my first principal role, like full three act men on. I got done with the show and somebody there that I won't say came up to me and said, you know, it's all downhill from here. And it was this wow. moment that has still stuck in my brain. Yeah. Every single time I do a role, or every single time I finish, maybe it's given me more appreciation for my time on stage, but it also, it makes that like, that rolling you know that like non-stop rolling of what the career becomes of like oh god how has it been a year already or three years or five years or ten years and and it's suddenly so far away from the start and that's kind of like played in my head over and over again as I get further away from that first experience wow and it, it like you know people just don't know what they how they affect you when yeah. they're being kind of like off the cuff and like a joke or whatever. But it's like, those things stick with you when you least expect it. Yes. Yeah. Words get yeah. Words, words cut deep. <laughs> and, yeah. and we are not shy um, to metabolize physical injury in this particular space. We're very, we're professionals at it actually digesting the, the physical injury and, we talk a lot about this, um, inside the workshop and in different conversations we're having with some of our former colleagues and peers, which is just that like, there's really no, um, space or skill set to metabolize the mental uh, psychological, emotional damage done, whether that is a snide comment backstage, something that your director said to you in the hallway, something that, you know, you didn't get the part or whatever, you didn't get to perform after you rehearsed it, whatever. And it's just this scar tissue builds, right? And then every time you remember it, you're just giving it a little more of your power. And it's interesting because you know, when I think about what I miss in dancing besides the people and, and calling myself a ballerina um, is the fact that when you're performing, like you really, most of the time, you cannot be anywhere else, but in that present moment, like you really just can't. And in this world that we're living in, it's so, that's such a precious, rare feeling is to just feel fully absorbed in present. And I miss that, you know, and it's, I, I can see how a small comment such as that would completely jab me because what it 
it was just this kind of like cynical way of reminding you of the, like the finiteness of your career and your aspirations and your goals. And now you've made it. So now it's just a trickle down and it's just, oh, that's a lot. As if we need to think about the, the finality of the art form anyway. It's like the only thing that comes along. It's like ballet dancer, asterisk, you're going to be done when you're 32 or whatever. Yeah. You know, like yeah. literally yeah. turned 32 last week and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> You're done. Get out. <laughs> yeah. You're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. But the... Yeah, it's it's interesting that it's it's not really um, it's not thought about in that way all the time. But you know, like I think that we're finally starting to get to the point where we're realizing how much our mental aspects play into our physical aspects, and where this the spectrum of crossing over kind of is for those two things. And um, there's one side of thing. It's funny because Lauren, my uh, partner, is working. She like she's working on a thing that she's been interviewing a bunch of other dancers about injuries and how they um, how they affected their career if they ever had mental uh, health as a part of it or you know any any kind of support besides just like here's your pill, here's your doctor, here's your PT. scenario and like get the hell back in the studio ASAP. Yeah. Um, and so Lauren, by the way, I want to know the data that she finds. It's, it's yeah. pretty, it's like a 14 page paper that I read the other day and I was like, yeah, this is it. This is yeah. basically it. Oh yeah. Um, but basically, you know, like looking at, I guess how, how much we have to suppress um, in order to get to the point where we can just be like happy on stage, not thinking about anything. And, you know, like what, what gets us to that place and it gets harder every single time. Right. And so like, it's like a slow buildup of like, all right, I have, you know, I have to wake up and brush my teeth and get into class kind of thing. Like I have to figure out how, how tights go on and what a dance belt is. That's like the very first thing Yeah. into, you know, flash forward to like last year when I just cut and gotten back, you know, it's been a couple of, couple of years now since I had like a really bad knee injury and what it takes for me to get there three hours before four hours before a show and just sit there with like whatever tool I can find and like, okay, I've gotten these new stretches from my massage therapist. Who's like amazing. And he's much more of like a yoga guru. And I'm like, so glad that I found him, but like this knee injury happened to me because my only care before I got to San Francisco was here's the Aleve every morning and every night before a show. And little did I know that my patellar tendon was made of Swiss cheese, you know, like, and it's, it, it's like a shame, but you know, like at least there's, there's some modern medicines that helped me through it. But like, I was just so set on never being that person that was injured, never being that person that was sitting out on the side, never being that person that like yep. had to like, make the casting change happen. Yeah. I love being the person that steps in. I love being the person that saves the day. And it's like a really annoying thing to have to constantly live up to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah, we were, we were having this conversation about burnout this past week. And something that came up was that we were like the real problem is that we pleasure our pain and we reward. There's this very bizarre communal thing that like the person in the most pain grinding through it is like, let's bow down. Like they're the sought after. And we all kind of have this sick need to be just a little bit tougher than the person next to us. Like there's a little bit of this. I mean, I hate to admit it, but this is just what I experienced. It was 
a tiny bit of pleasure when someone couldn't do it and I could like a tiny bit of pleasure when it was like I made it to show 400 and you called out at 398 like <laughs> like it you know and it was like meanwhile dislocated shoulder messed up in the brain and yeah. like you know going home and crying every night so the same on Broadway like did you feel the same way yeah and what's crazy about it is no one was playing the game I was playing like they were calling out they were taking care of themselves and and when I think about the last show I was in you know this this competition that I felt to be the last one to call out like I I admitted that on one of our last talks I was like I set the thing in my mind like I will be the last person to call out it's just conditioning it's conditioning and I, it's where we place our value. So it's like, it's like saying I'm only valuable if I'm the hardest working, most broken down per, it's like feeling broken is like my value or some, there's just something twisted there. It's even like, I, even as recently as last year, you know, like having to step in multiple times for one dancer in Romeo and Juliet. And it happened like in, on tour in Copenhagen and it happened again on, you know, like on the day of the gala where his back went out again and it was just the same thing. And I remember somebody coming up to me and being like, you know, thanks for just finally, you know, just like stepping up and doing your job no matter what, you know, like I know that you're in pain, but thanks for doing it. And it, it felt simultaneously like the satisfaction that I wanted, but like I'd now gone through my knee injury yeah. And out the other side, thinking completely differently about how I wanted to approach things like saving the day, for instance, mm -hmm. but that it, it, it finally felt um, like a, not an insult, but it felt like, yeah, I thought about it too much and I still think about it, but it, it's, it's now more like my modus operandi is like thinking so I have this guy right this Mark Frederick he's like the most amazing masseuse in the world he like Rolfs he like it's all fascia related all these you know interconnection of everything kind of feels a, a good cross between eastern and western and he in many former lives was like a jazz musician he was a um biotech engineer like he was the head of some real estate company. i don't know he's like got all these different things but he is like a cult at the ballet now because like people once they go to him and they can find this like healing power of just physical work mm -hmm. and just kind of like the explanation of like well you know the back my back is hurting but it's really the front of me that's, you know, like finding the equal and opposite reactions and yeah. realizing that pain isn't always right on the spot that you're feeling the pain. Like your ankle pain could be from your, from your hip or from your neck or whatever it is. And all these things that when people would tell me that initially, like are going to see like some, you know, kind of like so, so acupuncturist where like, I'm like, oh yeah, I get it. I get that everything's interconnected. And that like, if you work on my shoulder, my hips on the opposite side, is gonna feel better. Mm -hmm. Only maybe once or twice did it ever actually affect me. But now I'm in this place where like, I see somebody struggling with like their neck or their shoulder or something. And I'm like, oh, have you tried this, this stretch? And have you tried this stretch? And then like really open your mouth and get your jaw involved and really like, <laughs> And like, I've, I'm kind of more now interested in like talking through injuries with somebody rather than like keeping it as this like uh, distant thing that's like untouchable. And like, if you go off, you're gone and bye. <laughs> yeah. I so. love that. I, I, that should be a more normalized like social conditioning around injuries, because it's true. Like my first big, all my career injuries, actually you do, you feel immediately dispensable. It's as if you never existed. And then you're off in your silo healing, isolated, mildly depressed, you know, and it's just like, it sucks. And there's so many, there's so many best practices to be shared across this industry. We've all had very similar niche and uh, injuries about things. And 
Um, I love that kind of interwoven the, the physiology, the mindful components of it all. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot of cords to cut before you get to the actual physical problem, you know, and how much more efficient our healing would be. Love that. It's cool. You just, you absolutely nailed it. It's like, we think that their injury is contagious. (laughs) Oh yeah. And you know, occasionally it can be right. Like, so it's like, you see the girl with the knee and you're like, okay, problem. (laughs) Like you're, you're, it's like, I'm not going to look at it or address it or think about it. And I really, I think that's cool how you're, you're kind of finding a new relationship towards that, like an empowered relationship a bit. It's now like, you know, because it is contagious in a way of this, like who, depending on whose work you're doing or what, what being asked of you you know it's a super heavy like static thing that you have to like use your upper body a lot people's necks are going to go out yeah and as soon as one person's neck goes out you're like you know i'm kind of tight too (laughs) and then you think about it and it's like oh god i can't move for the rest of the day yeah in that way now i'm seeing it and asking around and being like oh how's your back today like oh i'm super stiff like yeah you're stiff too i wonder if it's xyz yeah and then in in doing so it kind of creates this like especially on like six hour days where nothing's really being done except for like once every three hours you work or something you know like those are the dangerous days where you end up just sitting and and like being on your phone or whatever it is that you're doing and you and then all of a sudden it's like oh can we get that second cast or third cast or whatever like pop in here and you're like uh, okay. <laughs> but, I do um, not miss that, y'all. <laughs> yeah. It's not great. It's not great. But in that sense, it's like, okay, now I've got all my tools set up. I've got all of my, you know, like my yoga mat set up and and everyone visits me in the corner and we all like lay on a lay on a medicine oh, ball. No. It is. Yeah, it's like I set up camp and I'm like, come on okay. over. Let's let's mess with these like so as tools or whatever. Love it. Yeah. It, that kind of brings me to a question of your curiosities and how powerful they are. Like how as dancers, it's kind of a two-part question because part one is like, we have this very tightly wound dancer identity that sometimes becomes like an almost identity crisis as we get older or as we move along or as we choose to leave the industry or sometimes while we're even within it where it's like I was this type of dancer and maybe an injury you return and you're reorienting yourself and there's something new about you you learn something new while you were away um but then moving outside of the career or even while you're inside of it sometimes the fear to even like dip in or explore those curiosities to expand yourself and it sounds like, I don't know, as you're talking about this, it it sounds to me like there's something there. Like you're, yeah, right? I mean, it's like, it's always been in the back of my mind a little bit, but about being like, is there something in me that could be a physical therapist or like yeah. some sort of like form of physical manipulation that would yeah. help somebody or- Cross-functional healer. It's funny because I think you're kind of talking about transitions, right? So yeah. like there's the transition of first for me was the transition from um, company to company, right? And like what that means and what that does to you mentally, physically and beyond. But, um, you know, the decision to, to leave Houston came very like kind of out of nowhere because I had left my I kind of left my resume with San Francisco Ballet in like December of the year that I ended up leaving or like the year before I left and didn't hear a single thing until March and it was like uh hey could you come tomorrow and audition and I was like yeah sure I just have to like sign in at half an hour for this (laughs) principal role that I'm supposed to be covering but it's fine I'll just like go and like hope that the other person that's another cast is also covering and like actually around 
So I just depended on that, but that ended up, I rock, walked around the corner in San Francisco and the other cast was also there. So that's, that's the end of that story. <laughs> and thankfully our third cast was fine. <laughs> Cannot <laughs> make that up. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a mess, to say the least. Um, we had some fun drinks afterwards though, it was fine. I'm sure, you all survived the night. But, um, you know, like, so there was that moment of like, when I first sent my stuff out in December, it was like, I'm turning 25. If I don't leave now, I'm never going to leave. Do I want to be in one company for the rest of my life or dance life? And do, will I regret it if I don't leave? Because I was doing really amazing work. They do really amazing work in Houston. I love that company with all my heart. I love the dancers and I feel that it truly set me up for what I can do now, which is a much more kind of self-driven company under healthy where it feels um, much more like you just have to be ready for whatever they throw at you. And Mm -hmm. if you're not, it's okay, but it's just gonna like the, the coaching and the time is not the same here because we're just like in this real crunch zone all the time what it feels like um just because of how the season is and how it's all in like five months and you're just like inevitably by the third month like half of the dancers are gone and you're just like scrambling to fill in for everything so there's that transition and then there's the transition that we've been talking about with like leaving this realm and being and being okay with that and kind of like I'm so glad to see Lauren like make her transition so beautifully and like seemingly with no kind of like excess energy wasted, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's where I usually end up like getting caught in one realm or another in my head of being like, I can't and I don't want to, or whatever it is, you know, like all these kind of like negative things that just keep you from accomplishing things. Whereas like, you know, you can get a trigger, like, you know, my friend passing away a few weeks ago, it was like, put me into a place of like, well, why the hell am I not writing people back or doing this thing that is really seemingly easy, but not, um, something that's like stressing me out or whatever. And it's like, I have these things about being in rehearsals or having a certain amount of hours of work and then like not being able to reply to anything because I'm like, I'm tired and I'm whatever, mm-hmm. which I am, but it's it's like your brain can work on two different levels. And I think that that's kind of like what leaving a company did to me. It like made me realize that more is possible outside of the bubble that you enter into, which I would strongly advise anyone that's like entering into a professional career to think about you know that this isn't like I did it this is the job we're done it's like how about now this is the first step yeah and whatever those next steps are whether it's like ah, this isn't for me or whether it's like moving into a different space or trying to get promoted or whatever it is you can find a way through and it doesn't have to be the what you think it has to be I guess I love that that kind of perspective is so um it's so humbling and riveting and it's it's interesting my mom said that when I was like applying for jobs after retiring and going to school and she's like you know whatever job you get does not have to be your last job like don't put so much pressure on it and in the career path of a of a performer you're like well if you get the job like that's it you you did it you got the gig you booked it And, you know, in America as well, most of us were on, are on one year contracts with companies. So then it's like every day feels like an audition. And what if in our head, we were also auditioning that company for us? Like, does this continue to feel like the right fit for me? Like, am I, do I, does my talent feel appreciated here? Do I feel like I'm realizing my dreams in a productive way? Um, And it's, it's not, you're not always going to have that like assurance every single day, but maybe like a quarterly check-in because that's a normal thing in the work world, you know, um, not necessarily with your director, although it should be, but like with yourself and what's easier than having that conversation is not having it. And 
that's where we get ourselves into trouble, you know, because it's, we have to have those hard conversations with ourselves. Otherwise you end up being, you know, the, the bitter, cynical, uh, emotionally injured dancer that you don't enjoy spending time with, <laughs> you know, and like, we're our longest relationships right here. So yeah. Wow. That's like super beautiful. And also, uh, I need to think about that every day <laughs> still, yeah. you know, like yeah. you, you just saying that is like, Oh yeah. Have I really double checked or whatever I need to do? I think that like right now with our transition of like director like Helgi's leaving it's kind of like essentially it's like changing companies again and it's not necessarily um gonna be good for everyone but who knows I'm not like letting that stress me out besides just thinking oh you know what maybe this is gonna give me like a new boost of energy that I've been needing in terms of like you know, pushing myself technically or whatever it is, like who knows what kind of rep we'll be doing. And it's like exciting to me. And also like, you know, I can't control it. So let's just go along. Yeah. Not a horrible life out there in California for you too. Yeah. Joe, you mentioned how you've been curious to kind of dip into film. And I know that Busted, what what we wrote was, your kind of first like or maybe not your first but was it your first speaking kind of acting yeah I've never had to learn a line (laughs) well Well, like have you done West Side Story no I haven't I left the year that they did it and I was really that was one of the the hardest things for me to make the decision. Cause I was like, I want to figure out if I can sing, I want to sing- figure out if I can um, act and in the, in the traditional sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it came back. It'll come back to you. Yeah. yeah. I'm so excited for when we do release this, like you are so good in this film. You're my favorite part about you are, you are Joe. I got to see it. I got to see Watch it. it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if I get one more message about how good you are, I'm going to be, I'm over, I'm over it, okay? Because it was about me, but anyway. <laughs> Everyone that I've shown has been like, who is this Jess? She's really cute. <laughs> but you were so good and so present. And like what blew me away about you on that day actually was that you were so in service to what, like, I think when I watch it back, why you were so good was because you were so present and you were so in service that whole day to just the team and being a part of it and showing up for it and being like just a positive, even like keeled Taurus, big Taurus energy that you are. Yes. So grounded. And so where I'm going to link this actually, because the question that I wanted to ask when Shelby, you were mentioning kind of company renewal. And I think you spoke to this, Joe, but something we've spoken about is how it can get really negative, just like the kind of rhetoric in a dance company and a million percent. I echo that in musical theater. It's just kind of the vibe. It's like, let's all shit talk you know, dump on each other. There's often this competitive nature. And what I so admired in you was just, I could see that that was not your vibe. Like you show up, you're there for the process. I'm sure you have your days, like we are all human, but <laughs> but I want to know like what your experience has been with that and how you've navigated that. Um, Cause I know that in a company that that's really, that can be really hard. It can be really hard to kind of navigate those relationships inside of a company atmosphere. Yeah. Well, I think that there's like, mm, there's a couple facets to that. So like, I would say generally you hit the nail on the head where it's like, I show up and I'm a part of the core. Like I'm first and foremost, a core dancer, a core, like, anything where it like feels like you got to be a part of the team in order to play on the team that's just how it works you can't just be this like 
standalone thing that doesn't have any support behind you. If you don't, if you don't go into a space and make yourself like open enough for other people to be open with you, then you're never going to have that feeling of support when you need it. Um, in those moments on stage, when you're looking around at every, every person I had talked to every, like, that's the only time I really like will react or change and break character is like when I turn around to do the, to do the solo, because it's like, yo, I need you, Diego. I need you, whoever is like around. And, and that's just like, yeah, is how it is. Um, and that was, you know, that applies for both like literally learning how to be a core dancer as uh, as a student, as an apprentice and finding my way very quickly into roles that I should not have been in, mm-hmm. I think at that stage because because they were just like, oh yeah, we can depend on him. Yeah. And I was like, I cannot do a double tour. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to do a double double on stage right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and then, and then that leads into like tra- changing companies where I was, I accepted a, from a principal contract, accepted a soloist contract. Um, in doing so, it made me feel much more confident in myself wow. by being able to be like, hey, I'm a soloist, whatever, judge me as you please. To then like fast forward, like my first two weeks in the company, I learned nine ballets went to Paris, performed, was only supposed to perform two things and like ended up performing all nine. And then, uh, and these were like, like kind of complicated ballets that I like, I don't know how or what mindset I was in. I was just like, go. (laughs) Nose to the grindstone. Yeah. It's the Taurus. It's that Taurus. (laughs) Yeah. Like I have to do it. So I have to do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that led into me getting promoted by right before Nutcracker started. And like, I remember there being messages and things on comments, like on posts that were like, well, we haven't even seen him dance. Why would he get promoted? Like from people that were locals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of made me proud to know that I had like already done that with just a tour and like with just like being a part of the core of the company and like doing it insularly and not necessarily having to do it to show the audiences to show the boss that it's okay to show that you know like it just happened organically um and you know it that was in Paris and then now it's like I can come to the stage as a principal and just be that leader in that way too. So what I, what I love is this beautiful correlation I'm seeing in just patterns of what you've been talking about this entire time is this relationship that you have with body, like with your body, with other people's bodies, with respect for your body, with respect for other people's bodies. And then, you know, the, the weight that you place on being a part of the body of a company, which is core de ballet, like that is the body of the company. And it, you have, you've never, transcended that mindset despite you know the very rapid succession and ascent of your career and I think that that is that's so cool and so rare I think I'm I'm curious where that kind of groundedness comes from if anywhere is did you see it modeled in people above you uh you know I I mean I think that like Walsh's generally my my Walsh's are like a like a avoid conflict at any cost um (laughs) and that's you know a detriment to our family occasionally but it's like it helps when you're meeting people and when you're like working with people yeah um you know finding this like common ground very quickly or being able to kind of sense if something's up yeah um which you know like sometimes I'm good at sometimes I'm not but you know I think that the affinity for like being a core dancer and being a part of a group is is a lot from being bullied or being ostracized in that moment of kind of like coming into your own self yeah um, at that young age and then kind of like experiencing what that felt like and not wanting that again Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that like as much as I can I'm like 
performing for everyone around me on stage as much as I'm performing everyone out in the front. Um, and I think that like that usually will, you know, like at least play off as you're acting, you know, like you're really acting, but like, I'm not when I'm performing for everyone on stage. Cause it's like, I want to feel that positive energy from everyone in the company, not just my partner that I'm dancing with, not just the ballet, you know, not just the coaches, not just whatever are those kind of like easy to see check off things. It's like, no, I'd much prefer to like be not necessarily like everyone's, you know, like I, I like to be nice with everyone and able to like know that I'm not getting like too many disgusting glares <laughs> when I'm facing away, you know? It's even more, you know, with masks, it's pretty crazy what you can read on people's yeah. faces. Oh my god! I in the wrong moment, if you catch them looking at you, you're like, "Oh shit!" That person's <laughs> not happy with me right now. <laughs> you, know, you are saying something that Shelby. I feel like you're gonna you're gonna be right on in here with this reference. But did you watch Queen's Gambit? Oh yeah. I mean, who didn't? But um, if you didn't, you're done. But yeah. get out. Get on it. <laughs> get out of here. But um, I've been like waiting to reference Queen's Gambit because it's now come up like four or five times in our conversations. And what you're speaking to, Joe, is it is that final scene where I wept so gutturally. I did too. When she picks up the phone <laughs> and it's like they're all there. And actually, as I say it, I get like that moment is just a perfect example of someone i felt so related to her story because it felt like the artist's ballerina journey to be honest besides her childhood trauma but it's that feeling of like she was so intensely focused on something with her whole being at the cost of her health so so much of the time, but it was also her savior and also she had these things kind of tethering her into this dark space and she would channel it into like her grit in that art form, which is just, okay, that's ballet right there or an artist's career right there. And she thought she had to go it alone and you see her kind of resisting romance and you see her like, like it just felt, I experienced that so much. And in that moment when they're all there for her, like she needs them. And when she finally cracks open and lets them in, she succeeds. Like we watch her succeed and it, right? So good. And they all win. They all win. Everybody wins. What you're speaking to is that it's totally that it's like, we do not have to go it alone. And I'm, I'm all for a bit of that black sheep, lone wolf thing. Like I loved it. I reveled in it. It was my vibe, but there is a moment when you realize what tribe does for you and like what you're, it doesn't mean you have to be everybody's best friend, but being a part of the tribe and contributing in the way that you can to that tribe and knowing what you bring, like that's what a company is. We're a tribe get the drums out, like, let's go. But I think that there's something in that. And I think that you're showing up for your tribe in the way that feels embodied to you, you know, and feels real for you. And sorry, I just had to say that. And it's true. It's not like, and, you know, as much as I used to, or still sometimes try to like go and watch other shows and things like that of not uh, of specifically like of the same company, like other casts or, or a random show that I'm not involved in, um, that also plays into it of, of like being present when you're not needed. Um, right. And like, you know, things now are changing in my life and, you know, I won't have as much time as I had always when I was working, but I, I hope to still feel that kind of sense of camaraderie uh, beyond just one's own performance and like, you know, kind of like, appreciating the full picture of what is being created because it is a beautiful thing and it's not like it's not an easy thing for anyone to go through alone and no one should and you know as you know I hope that people that are 
lonely or feeling like a black sheep are able to at least reach out to a therapist or something that they can, you know, kind of like get those feelings of support or feelings of discomfort out so that like it doesn't fester and manifest in another way. Yes. This is reminding me so much of um, a lecture I had in school. So I got my degree in psychology and um, I took this great psychology of culture class and um, I'll never forget the slide comes up and it's a fish and a massive school of fish behind that the main fish right and we were studying the difference between collectivist cultures and individualistic cultures so east and west basically and um, they asked a bunch of school children would they can you describe this photo what's happening in this photo and um, children of collectivist societies mostly like east asia um, they said oh that's a um a school of fish following the leader. And, and then they asked a bunch of school children in the West, like, can you please describe this picture? And they were like, oh, that's a fish leading a bunch of other fish. And so like they saw the leading fish and everyone else saw the following fish. And it's just like, it, I was like, this is wild because it's such a simple reframe, you know? And if we give our, if we give ourselves that kind of bird's eye view perspective, just as a sick bird's eye view meditation inside the workshop. Um, but if we allow ourselves to kind of like meta about where we're at and the potential that we have to create an impact, whether you're the leader, the soloist, the principal or the core member. And that was something I was really humbled to hear Catherine Morgan say when we spoke with her a little bit ago and you know you don't have to be you don't have to wear the tiara to make an impact in your company um, or in your life and you know I think that exactly what you just spoke to uh, affirms affirms that like at any given point in your career um, you can choose to show up differently and that in and of itself can make a very large impact both on people ab- above you and below you you know um, so love that totally it um i thought of something i can't quite remember it right now but psychology fish culture (laughs) queen's gambit (laughs) you've been all over the place (laughs) well no i was just gonna say like this has been very inspiring and also i'm like i want to hear from lauren I want to hear about the study she's doing. Like, I, f- I know things feel, feels like things are happening. And that, that would be one other interesting question that we haven't asked is you worked with Lauren. So what was that? Was there anything, is there anything you'd want to share there about kind of working with your significant other or like navigating romance inside of a company? <laughs> I think that, you know, we've been together now for, I think, 11 years or something like that. Um, but we work together not so frequently, but frequently enough that, I mean, I think that even if you work with your significant other, even once you're going to realize that you speak beyond words and, you know, that's to the nth degree as a dancer where we already speak without words. So there's a lot that's like unsaid in like an instant when it's like a creation process. Like we did this crazy creation process with James Kadelka and it ended up being like one of the most beautiful pieces that I've ever seen. It's called Passion. And like Pat my own, what? Gorgeous. It really did like the, it was more like the costuming and the-, the Yeah, whole yeah. Thing. Okay, you know, you guys were cute. You know it was cute. <laughs> You know, it was cute. It was like all this partnering with just arms, um, which like is already hard and then repetition. And so it was like, it became like a little bit of like a, all right, well, are you going to remember the next step? Are you going to remember what I asked you to do in this moment? Are you going to remember? And it's like all these things that like play into a relationship of like, oh, well, did you remember to take out the trash or, (laughs) you know? And it's the same. Yeah. yeah, it's totally the same. So like we had some of the most beautiful performances I've ever had together. And like we got together also because of performing together. You know, yeah. like we experienced first the relationship on stage on stage and then second outside and in the w- real world. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's also like the adjustment of like this like fantasy becoming reality, becoming... Yeah. Um, 
life. You know, like now it's our life. We're having a baby. Like that's it. Oh my god! I'm gonna ask when you said things were gonna change, and I was like, "Can I get a hot take? Can I get a hot take?" Oh, that's huge news! Oh my god! Thanks. So we're expecting in in October, and it's gonna be a little girl, and who knows? She's gonna be a fucking rock rock star. You know, like I can't wait to meet her, them, whoever sh- they are. You know, like it's we're little trying to bring- is she gonna be a little libra baby libra or scorpio like and i don't i'm not like huge into into astrology but like i feel like every time I, somebody says scorpio they're like mm. <laughs> uh, i don't know okay are they evil it's like slytherin right i guess <laughs> We all want a little bit of Slytherin, you know. Wow, yeah. Joe, that's so. You are in a transition. You're yeah. in it. Yeah, right. So, like, that's that's now it. But like, having Lauren still here and still dealing with all the crap that I bring home every day, and you know, all the pains and aches, she hears them first. She, you know, because I hold it back at work. I don't necessarily try to be. You know, you complain with your buddies, whatever. But I try to keep it, you know, keep it with me until I can let go. And now that she's not at work, I, I have to just wait until I get home. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I'm, I'm looking forward to having that bigger thing. Yeah. Like, I've seen so many friends. I've, I've always grown up with, you know, whether it was Simon Ball in Houston, Simon and Francis, they're like super close friends. They've got two beautiful girls and... We, I, you know, I've known the oldest one since she was three. So like, I know, and they're now like 14 and a, a 12 or something, you know, like whatever. They're like super old now. And it's like, what? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But, you know, like, I feel like that is a part of me and something that I've been watching and idolizing and kind of like holding in this place of like wanting to get to um, so that I can be that person that's not like, my biggest thing is my pain in my back. It's like, no, my biggest thing is this kid. And I want to like, just have something that I don't have to be like, everything rides on this performance. Everything rides on this tondu. And it's just like, I don't want that anymore. You know? Yes. I love to have that. And I love to have that kind of like world, but it doesn't need to be all encompassing. And I think that that's what I've been trying to figure out through quarantine is like, how do I... How do I have something that defines me besides ballet? Yeah, um, that's it. Where am I in terms of like my loss of sense of self and identity at the very beginning of quarantine became the definition of how I felt. And it was like, I have to get out of this because I can't just be defined by something that I literally cannot do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Did so it's not like I figured out the end of whatever it's just that like it became clear to me that it doesn't need to be the only thing yeah who i mean that's a profound <laughs> namaste <laughs> i'll just yeah. cinch that no i think <sighs> that's one of the brighter more effervescent silver linings um once you know artists get past the true hardship and trauma of being detached from their identities over the past year is like you've been actually afforded the time when no one else was getting the gig either to question and excavate who you are and what your worth is, you know, detached from your, your title, your, your role as a dancer or across industries, honestly. Um, and I think that that's just incredible. Um, yeah, it's, wow. it sounds like you are continuing your journey as an artist becoming, um, because it's just ever evolving. And even when you make it to principal, when you make it to that top shelf, it's still, it's still this constant evolution. And it sounds like you're doing the work. It's inspiring, Joe. Yeah, no, it's no pressure to have something to look forward to, but it is a help. Yeah. Like, I think that once you first get into a company or you first try to get into a company or whatever that experience is in your journey to get to your goal, your goal doesn't, your goal just moves forward. Yeah. You know, you, if, if you just accept your goal, then it, it means 
there's nothing left, you know? And like, I don't want to do that and I don't want to feel like that, but I know that there will be a, a moment in, in a career of mine that I feel that's it. And that's when I know, you know, that'll, that it'll be done. Hopefully that's how I hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just really grateful that you came on here. I think there was some, I'm really excited about a lot of the things we touched on and on this call. Like, I think it was really unique and very, very inspiring. Yeah. Really been awesome. And I'm super looking forward to seeing how Artists Becoming grows and expands. And it just seems like a really useful tool that didn't exist, you know? Yeah. So good on you guys. Thank you. Changing, we're changing the game. You're part of it. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Have a good Bye. evening. You will. Bye. Want to connect further with our community at Artists Becoming? Rate and review this podcast and subscribe to stay on top of our weekly guest artist conversations and our small chats, big topics. Check out www.artistsbecoming.com to learn more about our monthly subscription membership filled with on-demand guided meditation and yummy yoga practices to support your unique journey as a performing artist. Follow along on Instagram at Artist Becoming for sneak peeks and inspiring content and DM us the dream artists, athletes, performers, psychologists that you'd love to hear from or topics you'd like for us to unpack. Sharing is caring, so fire up that group chat, share to your stories, comment, Share, 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 and just stay connected with us. We are here for your becoming.